This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to tell you about a helpful resource from Discipleship.org about church culture. It's a primer to the Discipleship.org book called Disciple Making Culture by Brandon Gindon, and you can download this primer for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks. This free download gives you a high-level overview of the full-length book, and it helps you to connect with the general message of the book. It also inspires you toward changing the culture at your church to help your people make disciple-making something you are, not just what you do. So go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. Today's episode is from Replicate, and it's called How a Healthy Staff Leads to Having a Healthy Church, featuring Gus Hernandez. Hey, my name is Gus Hernandez, and I'm the mobilization pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And then we also have a Gallatin campus as well, which is a neighboring city in Sumner County. Um, originally, I'm from Miami, Florida, um, child of Cuban immigrants. My parents were born in Cuba. I was born in Miami, Florida. And so I tell people all the time, I have the privilege of living as a missionary, a Cuban-American kid in Sumner County. Very different culture. And it wasn't until I was like 18 years old that I really ventured to leave South Florida. Anyone here ever been to the city of Miami? I'm sorry. I just want to apologize. Like traffic, the people's personalities, very different and very difficult. Um, a lot of road rage. Uh, I was back a couple weeks ago to visit some family, and a matter of a day, I was already flipped off on the road, yelled at, cussed at. I'm like, wow, welcome back home. You know, this is amazing. So anyways, I'm living here in Tennessee, love it, love the staff that I'm serving with, great church, but that wasn't always the case for me. In fact, the reason I'm so passionate about this session is back in 2013, I was going through an extremely dark season in my own personal life. In my own life in ministry, I had left a healthy team. I was serving with Robbie Gallaty at Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I felt God leading me to go back to the city of Miami, and I, I planted a collegiate church on the campus of FIU, Florida International University, and I was partnering with a multi-site church, one of the largest churches in South Florida, and serving on their director's team as one of the 10 leaders of this church. And I was excited to be back in my home city, to reach my home city with the gospel and make disciples there. And then the first staff meeting happened. And after the first interaction with my new executive pastor, I went home and I told my wife, I don't know what we just did. I mean, this is just a completely different staff culture than what we just experienced for seven years at Brainerd Baptist Church. And none of this was apparent during the interview process, the whole search process. It's like they said all the right things, said all the right things, all in every single meeting, but then you hit reality when you start interacting with other staff. And here's what I quickly realized. I was on the path to burnout, high levels of stress, and within a few months, I was hospitalized with a heart condition that was mostly induced by stress. And I started to you know, take a step back. I was like, what is going on? Is this normal? Is this how every church staff should feel like? Like you should, should we really hate going to a staff meeting? Should we really hate being around our coworkers? 
And here's the quick answer. No, <laughs> you should love serving on staff together. You should love your coworkers. You should have an incredible environment. But here's one thing that I want to just process together before we move on into like the bulk of this message is that leadership styles greatly affect the health of an organization. The leadership style of the people at the top greatly affects the health of an entire organization. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want to challenge you to draw this chart real quick. And I'm going to show you what I mean by the different leadership styles that you can encounter. And then I'm going to make a case for what I want you guys to adopt and embrace as a movement toward a healthy staff culture. And here's what I want you to see. There's, there's two lines. One, we're going to talk about relationships. And the middle line here is going to be control. So if you have warm relationship or cold relationships, high level of control, low level of control. So for example, here, if you have a leader in your organization that has a very low level of control and involvement in your work performance, and he's also very cold towards you relationally, we would call that distant. So write the word distant. This is a distant leader. You're in his team, you're on his team, you're in his staff, on his staff, and he doesn't really take the time to get to know you. There's no relational capital there whatsoever. And the result of that is he also doesn't really know a lot of what you do day in, day out. He doesn't express a lot of interest in what you do day in, day out. Therefore, he has not a lot to add feedback-wise, coaching-wise. He's just very distant. We don't want to be that kind of pastor, that kind of leader in our ministries. On the flip side, you can have the complete opposite, right, which is high level of control and at the same time still very distant when it comes to relationships. That is what we refer to as a domineering leader. This leader will strike fear in you. You get nervous. You start getting anxiety just walking into a staff meeting with this person because they want to know every single detail. They want to speak into everything possible about your ministry. And at the same time, they don't really care about you as a person. It's not about who you are. It's only about what you can do for me. We don't want to be domineering leaders. What does Jesus have to say about domineering leadership? What's the famous passage we should all pretty much have memorized when it comes to servant leadership? Mark 10 what? 1045. And prior to him getting to that punchline that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, that comes on the tail end of him looking at his disciples and telling them, the way you lead should not be like who? The Gentiles who like to do what? Lord it over you. Like, hey, look who's in charge. Look who's the boss. Look who's over you. And you don't want to be this domineering leader that has to like walk into the room and usurp your position by saying you're in control. That's not what Jesus demands from you. That's not what Jesus wants from you. So we don't want to be here. But then there's the mistake a lot of us make when we get into leadership where we are really good at developing relationships with our coworkers, but we have a hard time speaking into their ministries or we're kind of like afraid to. So then we stay in this friend category. It's okay to be friends, but when you're trying to lead a team, you're trying to lead an organization, you can't just be worried all about the relationships and do very little to provide constructive coaching or feedback to the people that you're leading. You don't want to stay in this friend category, which leads us to this one. If you have an intentional, warm relationship with an employee, 
that gives you the permission to speak into how they do what they do. And so you want to be highly involved in their work and their performance, but you love and care for them as a child of God. Here's what we call influencer. And as a leader, you want to have influence. You want to be an influencer to help this employee of yours, this person on your staff team, accomplish what God has called them to accomplish. And I like to view leadership as simply stewardship. You as the leader of your ministry, you as the leader of your church, you have to be stewards of the gifts that God has rallied around you and the people that God has placed around you. And so you want to be engaged with them personally on a relational setting. You want to love them and care for them well. But you also want to coach, give them feedback, push them to be the very best they can be for the glory of God. And when the two are combined, you see this sense of camaraderie. You see this influence that happens where they want to work better. They want to do better because they know how much you care. That's a great question. So the question was, if you are an associate, you're somebody else on the staff, and you see that some of the leadership above you is one of these other boxes, how do you help encourage them? That's a great question. One is I would encourage a one-on-one conversation to start. And I would always go directly to the person who's affecting me. And in the case that I just described, that past church that I was on staff with, that led to that, I confronted the executive that was creating that culture. And I had a straightforward conversation with him about how he was leading me personally and then what I observed with the rest of the staff. Um, Was it received? No, it really wasn't. But I was at least able to say I spoke to him directly face-to-face and told him how I felt. And I told him, hey, I'm not the only one that feels this way. A lot of us feel this way. And so I think there was some temporary change for a little bit, and then he went back to his old ways until he was fired a few years later. But, yeah, so I would always go straight to the person, one-on-one conversation. If that falls on deaf ears, you bring somebody else with you. You you talk to them together. Exactly, very much Matthew 18 for sure. And so here I want to give you three points. The first one is this. How do we develop a healthy staff team? The first is this. Recognize that your church staff needs shepherding. Your church staff needs shepherding. A church staff has spiritual needs just like anybody in your church. They're no different. But somewhere along the lines whether through seminary training or just past church experience, we get so focused on the church members that we oftentimes overlook our coworkers. We oftentimes overlook the church staff. And to a fault, we almost pretend like problems don't exist in their own personal lives. Here's a newsflash. They're sinful, broken human beings in desperate need of a Savior, just like anyone who sits in your padded pews or padded seats. Your church staff needs shepherding. In fact, there are so many surveys you can look up about the spiritual condition of people in ministry. I pulled up a few surveys. 70% of pastors say they do not have anyone in the church that they would consider a close friend. I mean, just think about that for a minute. 70% of pastors surveyed in this one poll that I looked at said they don't have anyone, not on staff, not even in their membership, that they would say is a close friend. That's not healthy. 80% of pastors say that the pastoral ministry affects their families in a negative way. Just by being a pastoral family, just being engaged in church, they say it takes a negative toll on their family. 
45% of pastors say they experience depression or burnout every year. Think about that. And you could say stats forever and ever, but here's the point. Just because you work on a church staff doesn't mean that you're immune to spiritual, physical, and emotional problems. And if we recognize the spiritual... Huh? Correct. You're more likely to have more of it because you're on the front lines of spiritual warfare. And when you recognize that you're on the very front lines, that you're going to be on constant attack from the outside and from within, you desperately need a family around you. And the case I want to make today is why not build a healthy staff culture where you become a family that is fighting spiritual warfare together, not being tools of spiritual warfare to separate each other to attack each other, but to encourage and uphold each other, to persevere together. And, and here's one of the, the great paradoxes of, of ministry. I like to call it the great uh, pastoral paradox is that shepherds need shepherding, right? You always need shepherding. Like we are shepherds by very nature of what we're called to do in pastoral ministry. And yet you need shepherding as well. Like you never graduate beyond the need of mutual shepherding as a Christ follower. And so how you structure your staff, how you meet together, you try to foster mutual shepherding where everyone is allowed to speak into each other's spiritual life. It's important. It's necessary. But what do you think are some of the reasons we don't experience mutual shepherding? What are some of the reasons you think pastors are struggling with burnout, depression? Why are some church staffs some of the unhealthiest groups of people that you see? What are some reasons? Go ahead and throw out some reasons. Maintaining a public image. Failure to delegate. A lot of times we take on so much and we try to do everything. What else? Very true. I had that in my first pastoral leadership class. I had a, a professor stand up and say, don't develop friendships in the church. And that was what was taught about 20 years ago. Um, sad, but that is definitely very true. That was in the textbook that I read on pastoral leadership. Don't develop close friends. Keep a healthy distance. I mean, just think about what that does to take a toll on your, your soul. Right? What else? What's some other reasons why we're struggling? Pride. What else? Sin. Sin. And sin thrives in darkness and isolation. What else? Titles. What else? Yeah, an unhealthy, like, personal responsibility for everything in the church, right? If one ministry event that he approved didn't go as well as he wanted or if the sermon didn't land the way he thought, he takes it personally. Any kind of feedback or, God forbid, the word criticism comes out, we take everything and hold it close to heart, personal. I would say lack of boundaries is a big one. Um, I would also say this from my experience at my previous church, unrealistic expectations. There's some senior leaders, some directors, managers, pastors that place unrealistic expectations on their employees and that then sets a chain reaction of anxiety, performance issues, just emotional and spiritual uh, difficulty for an individual because you're placing on them something that's not even close to being doable and they're constantly trying to measure up to something that's not even possible. There's, there's just no way that you could ever accomplish what the pastor, and whenever you do accomplish something, it's never good enough. I remember just for me, I'll tell you a quick story. I planted this collegiate church. We started with five students in downtown Miami. We started a worship gathering. We got to see 
60 kids led to faith and baptized within the first year. Our worship service grew to 450 college students in the city of Miami in downtown Miami. And my executive came and says, man, I thought by year one you'd have a thousand by now. This is kind of disappointing. <laughs> I remember sitting there, I was like, this is an act of God. This is amazing. It's like one of the hardest demographics to reach in one of the toughest places to reach. I'm like overjoyed. And that was his first reaction. Eh, you should have about a thousand by now. This isn't good. And it wasn't any spiritual reasoning behind it. It was a simple numerical value. It's not a thousand. That's why it's not good. Did you ask me about all these kids and the sins that they've overcome on their pursuits of Christ? How they're in discipleship, how they're in a small group, how they're overcoming the materialism of our city, how they're being a light on campus, how they're sharing Jesus. No, it just, it wasn't a thousand. What makes that the magic wand that says, oh, now your ministry's good. You hit this number. Heaven rejoices when one person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, right? We have an unhealthy obsession with numerical goals. And so those unhealthy expectations we place on staff affects them in a terrible way. If I had to ask you this simple question, what would you say is a pastor's primary responsibility? What are their primary responsibilities? Let's talk about the senior pastor. What would you say is the senior pastor's primary responsibility? Or a few. Let's list a few. What are his primary responsibilities? What would you say? Be a man of God. God. So his personal walk, holiness, is the best thing that you can give to your church and to the Lord. All right, what else? Care, spiritual watch care of the membership. What else? Equipping, Ephesians 4, right, 12. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, so equipping's got to be part of it. What else? Cast vision. What else? Preach and teach God's Word. What else? (laughs) It's amazing how we listed eight things before we got to, hey, he should probably shepherd the closest people to him, right? And I know there's a bunch of different sizes of churches represented in this room. Some of you, you may be the only staff person there. And so you're shepherding your deacon body. You're shepherding the elders that are among you that you're identifying and raising up. Some of you are on a little bit bigger staff and you've got a few full-time staff people. We listed a lot of things that deal right away with the membership. And that's okay. Those are all true things in Scripture. Nothing you shared was wrong. But it's, it's just to prove the point that we go straight to focusing on the pews and bypass the people closest to us that help us do the ministry. And it took us to the 10th response to probably get to, hey, you know, they should actually lead the staff well. Yes. You know, going back to, I hate going back to this past experience, but the senior pastor was so distant, so disengaged. I've served there for three years. I was one of 10 directors and managers at this church. I had 10 campuses. I preached every Sunday. I preached at the main campus on Wednesday night, and I preached at the downtown campus on Tuesdays. The senior pastor didn't know my name when I resigned, three years later. <laughs> he showed up to like a handful of meetings in my three years there. Now, the XP ran the whole church. He ran the staff. He knew us because he's in meetings with us every week. The senior guy would preach, go to his green room, preach, go to his green room, back to his apartment. So there's a shepherd who's not even leading his own staff, let alone leading people. 
And you can see how there's an unhealthy staff culture when a bunch of staff start, start to complain. He has no clue because he's distant. He doesn't know anything about what's going on because he's not there. Brothers and sisters, that should not be the case with our leadership. You can't be so disengaged that you don't know what's going on. Here's the second truth. Not only do our staff need shepherding, I would say that your church staff needs a plan for spiritual growth. Somehow we believe that just because you're in ministry, you no longer need shepherding. And when we think that you no longer need shepherding, we also throw out there that, well, they probably already know how to grow themselves, feed themselves. There's no need for us as leaders to develop any type of plan for spiritual growth. That's false. Your church staff needs a plan for spiritual growth. And you as the leader needs to help foster an environment, a culture that promotes spiritual health and promotes spiritual growth. Some of the things that when Robbie called me and asked me to join the team at Long Hall, he was coming in September of 2015. I moved in December of 2015. One of the things that he told me on the phone is, hey, I would love for us to make sure we create a healthy staff culture. And I said, brother, let me tell you about my last three years. <laughs> I'm so ready for that. I'm starving for a healthy team again. And I says, I will come to Long Hall if you promise me that we're going to go create a culture like we had at Brainerd, where there was a true, genuine love and respect for each other, and that we were on a path of growth together as a team, as a staff. And he says, that's what I want. That's how I've led. Can you help me with that? And I said, absolutely. Let's do it. I want to do that. And so here's what we did. We repurpose some of our weekly meetings as a staff. So we meet all together with everybody on our staff from janitors, from custodians, all the way to the executive leadership team. Once a month we meet together for a time of prayer, reading some scripture, sharing stuff that we've read in our daily reading plans, and we also celebrate big moments in the people's lives. Staff anniversaries, birthdays, we go all out and we do a breakfast together, we share a meal. Once a month, we do not miss that. It's every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of every month. We're having an all-staff breakfast, time where we celebrate what God's doing, a time where we pray and ask God to move in our own staff body. And we don't miss that. That's a big deal for us. We want to have that. And it's everybody. It doesn't matter if you're on the facilities team working in maintenance. You're there. We're celebrating. We're worshiping. We're reading the scriptures together. We're going to break off and pray together. That's our, that's our family. And then the rest of the Tuesdays of the month, we meet with the leadership team. So all the pastors and ministers, all the directors and managers of the church, and we do the same thing. We read scripture together. We process, hey, why don't you share something that you're reading in your time with God? We share any pertinent prayer requests, and then we process things together, big picture stuff. So as a leadership team, we're not making all the decisions without first asking and talking about it with everybody who serves in some form of leadership at our church. And I'll get to that more in a moment. But we're trying to think through our weekly rhythms of our meetings. Like, why do we meet? What's the purpose of the meeting? And how can we repurpose some of our meeting time to actually promote spiritual growth? So if you're part of, like, our Replicate family, you know that we produce some different Bible reading plans and resources. So every year as a staff, we say at the beginning of the year, this is the Bible reading plan that we're going to do as a staff. And everybody's bought in. So we're reading through the New Testament this year. And so when we walk in, we know, hey, you're in this week of the reading plan. So we're all kind of reading the same scripture passages, give or take a day or two. And we have scripture on our minds that we can easily talk back and forth because we're all on the same path. Everybody's on the same page. And it's so helpful because now we have the same thing that we can process spiritually, what God is ministering to us, what 
We're hearing from God as we spend time in his word. And so we just pick up a reading plan. We share highs and lows. We'll take some time in our staff meeting. Hey, somebody go around and share a high point this week. Hey, who wants to go and just open up about a low point, something that's been difficult where we can just stop right now as a staff and pray for you. And you start sharing highs and lows. People start to open up. We haven't even got to anything work-related. Because right now, before we talk about work, we want to talk about you as an employee. Let's talk about you as a person, you as a disciple of Jesus, before I talk about what you do for Jesus. I first want to care about who you are as a child of God. And you start there. You know, one of the things that we also do is we hold each other accountable. I think that's so important in staff cultures. You've got to figure out what kind of accountability you can do and how you can implement something. Here's something that I've done for my teams. Once a month, I give everybody on my team a personal reflection day. We call it PRD for short, Personal Reflection Day. This is a paid day of work. They're not allowed to stay home, but they cannot come to the office. Where they go, take a day, one day a month, and spend time reading extensively in God's Word. They journal some thoughts. They spend a significant portion of their day in prayer, and they have to go do something that's life-giving. If that's going for a hike, if that's getting out on the lake, if it's fishing, if it's going to your favorite coffee shop to get your favorite drink and reading a book, whatever it is, you've got to do something that's life-giving. But here's the caveat. Before you take your PRD, you have to schedule a follow-up with me to process your PRD with me. And so for 30 minutes, you're going to sit in my office and I'm say, how was your personal reflection? What did God reveal to you about your personal spiritual walk? Hey, what did God reveal to you as you started to contemplate your family dynamics, your family relationships? Hey, what did God reveal to you about your peer work relationships? Did God tell you anything about your job, your ministry? You know, how can I better lead you as your supervisor? That's one of my favorite questions. I ask that in every shepherding meeting. How can I lead you better? How can I be a better pastor to you? And then the, la- the last question is, how can I pray for you right now? I have had so many tears shed in my office with my own staff just asking those simple questions. And on the outside, people are good at putting up a front. People are good at pushing their problems to the side to just keep pushing forward to accomplish their ministry goals, all the while hurting and dying inside. And until you stop, until you slow them down, and you ask them some serious, straightforward questions, they're not going to process this stuff. But every month, I set up a shepherding meeting with everybody on my team. Every single month. I want to see how they're doing. We're not going to talk about work. We're not going to talk about performance issues. It's a shepherding meeting. I meet with my staff for work-related stuff, too. This is purely once a month. I just want to care about you as a person. So we're going to sit in my office, we're going to grab some coffee, and we're going to talk. Here's the thing. I have guys and I have ladies that work for me. And so I don't just do a shepherding meeting with the guys. I also shepherd the women that God has placed under my watch care. And I think there's this problem sometimes in the church where because we want to strive for accountability and we want to strive for, you know, staying above regard, but we've almost discounted and we've mistreated women to a fault just because of gender. And guys, we can't do that. First thing I did when I moved to my office, I took the door out and I put in one of those doors that have a glass window. So I want to be able to close the door and have a conversation with an employee while my admin's sitting outside. There's nothing that's going to go on in that office that is immoral. But I want that woman to be able to sit down 
and openly process what she's dealing with at home, what she's dealing with in the workplace, without feeling like, I don't trust her, she can't trust me. We're going to stay above reproach. But I'm not going to neglect shepherding the women that God has placed on my staff just because they're a woman. Like, you've got to be able to learn how to shepherd the men and the women on your staff with wisdom. Now, wisdom is important. So you don't schedule a meeting, hey, let's meet at my house, let's meet at your house. It's just stupid, right? Do it in a place that's never going to call her integrity into question and is never going to call your integrity into question. But you should be able to shepherd the men and women on your staff. There's definitely a way to do it with respect, love and respect, and that's so huge. I mean, I've, I've served with several ladies who are incredible at what they do, and it always baffled me at how much attention the guys on staff would get once a leadership team decided to go this route of developing people, growing leaders, shepherding the staff. And then we would do everything as a bunch of guys, and we would forget about the women that work with us. And so for me, they get the same amount of access as the rest of the guys on my team. And so I meet with them every single month for shepherding. I want to know how they're doing. How's your marriage? How are your kids? Anything I need to be aware of? Is anyone treating you inappropriately on the staff? I want to know that. I'm going to confront anybody that's being inappropriate. Anybody that's disrespecting you, I want to know about it. I recently had some church members say some not nice things. I immediately told the church member, that's not how you treat the ladies on my staff. Ever. It's not acceptable. It's not going to fly. You wouldn't speak to me that way, don't speak to her that way. Simple. And just fighting for your staff and doing the right thing and just making sure they know that they can come to you and share what's on their heart. Here's the third thing. Your church staff needs to be a healthy team. So they need shepherding. They need a plan for spiritual growth. You need to think through what that is, what kind of things are we going to read together, books we're going to read together, what do our weekly rhythms look like for staff meeting, how much is it work-based staff meeting, how much of it is personal spiritual growth. You've got to figure out that rhythm, but have something intentional. The third thing is you need to be a healthy team. And this, to me, is one of the most important things. We'll spend a little bit more time here. And there'll be three sub-points that we'll look at to help create a healthy team. But one of the books that I read that I absolutely love, you'll hear me reference Patrick Lencioni a couple times, is this book that he wrote called The Advantage. Fantastic book. Here's kind of the whole premise. He says that a company that has an advantage over another company is the company that takes the time to develop a healthy leadership team. He goes, when a company has a healthy leadership team, they will outperform any other company that has a dysfunctional team. And he's got all this business stats. And in there, he gives this great illustration that I love, and I've really tried hard to implement this in our culture. And he says this, when you're trying to develop a healthy team, you've got to start seeing yourself more like a basketball team and less like a golf team. He goes, have you ever seen a golf tournament? Each golfer goes up there and they shoot their shots. They hit their own scores. Everybody's tallying up all of their scores on their own cards, and then they're just throwing their scores together to figure out who wins. He goes, when you look at a basketball team, there's five guys on the court for that team. There's one ball, and there's one goal, and they're all trying to work together to score a basket. They have a common goal, and they have a common desired outcome, and yet they each have their own specific role on the basketball team. You've got your point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. They're all working together, though, to take that one basketball and score a basket. He goes, a healthy team will stop functioning in a bunch of silos. We've got our kids' ministry team. We've got our student ministry team. We've got men's ministry, women's ministry, spiritual formation, missions. And you just you score your score, you shoot your shot, and you worry about you. 
That's a golf team. A healthy church is going to start asking the question, what's the best thing for our church moving forward, and how do we come together to make sure we're scoring a basket? How are we coming together as kids team? When you're thinking through the next sermon series, how is it going to impact the students? How can the women's ministry and men's ministry be catalytic in growth for this series? And you start bringing people together and you start thinking less silos, more as a unified front. This is going to be very important. Some things to help with this is you have to establish trust. That's the first sub-point. Healthy teams establish trust. Without trust, you cannot have a healthy team. Without trust, you will not see a healthy staff. Developing trust is absolutely essential for developing a healthy staff. One of the things that we realize is trust comes with time. It sure does. But one of the things that helps with trust is loyalty. And this is something that we preach a lot as a staff culture. We bring everybody in every year. We do a staff retreat. And we remind everybody the importance of loyalty as a staff. And here's what it starts at the top and works its way down. I've seen it in action from my senior pastor, Robbie. I've had to do it with certain complaints. And here's what it looks like. You're on a Sunday morning. I know this probably never happens to you, but you have that precious soul for whom Christ died in your church that has the spiritual gift of complaining and criticism. And they make a beeline for you after the service, and they've got a laundry list of complaints that they have. And they're listing all the ways that your team members have failed to meet their expectations. And it's just rapid fire. How you respond to that is either going to promote trust and loyalty or it's going to destroy trust and loyalty. Here's how I first start off. It's very, it's very evident that you are passionate about what it is that you're struggling with right now. It's very evident that this means something to you, and I'm thankful that you came to me to talk to me about it. However, what you've just described about my employee doesn't match with the person that I have a relationship with in the office, and I'm going to follow up with them to make sure that they are honoring you as a church member and making sure that they didn't drop the ball. I'm not going to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. That youth pastor is no good. He's, he sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, you know, terrible. Yeah, we'll own it. You know, we just automatically want to side with our church member. One, because we just want the complaining session to end oftentimes, and we just want to move on. But what we do is we undercut our staff. There's no trust. There's no loyalty. I'm always going to back up my staff. And in the event that I find out they were wrong, we're going to go together and make it right. But most of the times I've gotten a complaint from a church member, there's two sides to every story. And my staff has I never got followed up, and I asked to join a small group five times. I was like, man, that doesn't sound like my staff. And, you know, we actually have systems in place to make sure that doesn't happen. Let me follow up and get back to you. I'm going to say, that doesn't sound like my staff member because he has a really good system. When I go back, yeah, we've called and emailed six times, and they've never answered the phone or replied to an email. Translation to the church member, they've never reached out to me. Actually, our records show we called four times, sent you three emails, and texted you, and we've got nothing. Right? So how you respond to a complaint is either going to help build a culture of loyalty and trust, or it's going to show your staff, man, you care more about the complaint of a church member than you do about me, and you don't trust me enough to do my job to automatically assume a complaint is true. And again, it, the complaint may have been true. But first, side with your employee, figure out the mess, and then come back with a solution. 
So in those little moments, you're either building loyalty or not. You said it in such a way where it didn't put Lynn down either. Absolutely. Correct. That doesn't sound like my guy. We usually have systems in place. Let me follow up and get back to you. So I'm never going to shoot down a church and be like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm never going to do that, right? But I'm never going to also just side with a church member and just cut my staff. Like, just the way you respond to that is going to be huge. And staff's going to find out. They're going to hear you in the hallway. They're going to see you after service, handling some of those big disputes. How you deal with that? That's a big deal. And so here's another thing. When you actually have trust in a team, conflict for sure is always going to rise up. Like, it doesn't matter what group you've led in, what staff you've been in. Conflict's a part of life. But here's what I've realized. When there's true trust on a team, right, here's what I've realized. When there's trust, conflict becomes nothing but the pursuit of truth and what's best for the organization. All right, so whenever there's conflict and you truly love and respect each other, you truly have trust, then you look at this thing that's been presented and together as a team you're saying, okay, I can see the different aspects here. But let's work together and say, what's the best thing moving forward for our church? What's the best thing moving forward as a staff? And it's no longer about me trying to get my way, you trying to get your way. It's what's the best thing moving forward, and you overcome conflict that way. Here's the second sub-point. Healthy teams need to establish a feedback culture. A feedback culture. And you do this in two ways. One, as a leader, you should be asking your staff for feedback. And number two, as a leader that actually cares about improving and coaching your team, you should be giving your staff feedback. Let's start with that first one. How do you ask for feedback? Here's one of the quotes that I love from The Advantage, that book that I mentioned earlier. Patrick Lencioni says this. Lencioni, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I. He says this, if people don't weigh in, they can't buy in. Think about this with your staff. If you involve them more in the decision-making process and you let them weigh in, you let them offer feedback, suggestions, concerns that they have, Whenever a desired outcome is chosen and a decision is made, since they had a chance to weigh in, now they can really buy into the future strategy. Even though it may not have been the original idea they had before the meeting, but because they got to be part of shaping it, they got to speak into it, they got to share their concern that they had on their chest, they got to like articulate something that may be a potential obstacle, they got to weigh in, and now whenever a decision is, a, is reached, they're able to buy into the decision because they were part of the process. That's exactly what he says. The CEOs, the leaders in these organizations that he studied, when they developed a feedback culture where different managers were able to weigh into future directives affecting the entire organization, whenever a decision was reached by the leadership team, they were completely bought in because they were involved in the process. They got to speak into it a little bit. They got to weigh in a little bit. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you want to develop a healthy team at your church, create some opportunities for feedback. You know, one of the things that I love about my senior pastor is every Monday he brings in a team that's part of his sermon prep team, and he asks them for honest feedback on the Sunday sermon we just heard the day before. Hey, what are some things to work on, and what are some things to keep? Give me a few things that I can get better at in preaching. Give me a few things that I did really well. And then we're going to spend a few moments crafting next week's sermon. We're going to study the passage together. I want you to speak into it. You know, pull out your Bibles and commentaries. Let's just wrestle with this passage for an hour and a half every Monday. That's what we do. Feedback on how he did. Man, this illustration, I don't think it, it worked too well. Hey, when you, you know, come across this way on the stage, maybe consider changing it this. Watch your tone for this. 
and he's inviting feedback on his preaching. If you're a senior pastor in the room, that's about the most sacred thing you do every week, and you're asking a team to critique it. That takes a lot. I don't know if you've ever asked that or had to sit through preaching class when they just rip your sermons to shred. That's hard, right? But think about the growth that's going to occur when you have all the pastors in the room telling you, man, this is what I loved about the message. This is what really spoke to me. This is how I really connected with it. Man, as you think through next week, maybe change the tone here. Maybe think through this illustration for future. Maybe do this instead. Imagine the growth that will happen if you do that every single week for years to come. And that's the culture that we're trying to establish. But then it it even comes into decision-making. So every Tuesday when we meet together for spiritual growth, we separate some time to talk about future initiatives, ideas. We brainstorm together. And the leadership team will share some thoughts that we're having in our discussions as a leadership team with all of the ministers and managers of our church. I say, hey, this is an idea we're processing. We'd love to get your initial reactions to it, maybe concerns you have, maybe ideas to make it stronger. What are your thoughts? And we'll pitch it to them. And just give them about 30 minutes. Just weigh in. Give us feedback. Give us thoughts. Any concerns you have. Knowing the history of the church, what do you think about that? But once we leave there and we have an idea of what we want to do, because they weighed in, they're bought in. Third sub-point. Well, actually, let me, let me say this real quick. I said you should ask for feedback and then you should give feedback. Whenever we go into one of those feedback meetings, there's a mantra that we teach everybody on our staff. I want you to write it down. Feedback is meant to be helpful, not hurtful. I think that's important. We start off, hey, we're about to do a feedback session. And let's remember that feedback is meant to be helpful, not hurtful. If you're just giving somebody feedback because you're trying to crush them, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Like we're trying to help edify and build someone up, not trying to crush somebody. And so even in the tone that we're going to give feedback and the way we're going to offer a suggestion, it's always from the posture of, hey, I want to help you reach the next level. I want to help you get better. And I hope you would one day do the same thing for me. But let's make sure that we're being helpful, not hurtful. All right, third sub point, and this is our close. Healthy teams establish a clear purpose. Healthy teams have a clear purpose. They have established clear lead measures that everyone as a staff has acknowledged and understands how to achieve what i have come to realize is unrealistic expectations oftentimes leads to frustration and leads to poor performance because the staff culture doesn't really know what is the win in their ministry area what is the thing that the pastor really wants me working on and so we try every year to make sure we're crafting clear lead measures versus just studying lag measures I don't have time to go into lead and lag. There's a book, Four Disciplines of Execution, that goes into greater detail if you're interested in that. The the idea is you set up some things that predict and affect future growth, and you don't just only study things that have happened in the past. So if we get to Tuesday staff meeting, and I pull up the attendance report, and I just celebrate the number we had on the weekend and compare it to the last quarter and compare it to the same week last year, that's a lag measure. Just knowing that data didn't affect next week's attendance or next month attendance. But I've said, hey, we're going to make a goal this month to have 100 gospel conversations, have 1,000 people invited to the church, and that's the goal we're going to set up. 1,000 invitations to church is a lead measure to help drive somebody to actually come to my church. So 
Attendance is a lag measure because that's something that already happened. I can't change Sunday's attendance. It occurred. I can track it, which is good. You should track it. But I got to set lead measures that are going to affect next month's attendance, next week's attendance. So when we look through a sermon series and we're planning, hey, historically, the church, these are our ups and down weeks. We should start a sermon series on this Sunday. We want to do X amount of invitations, X amount of this to help drive people to come hear God's word lead measures that are going to affect your lag measures. That's what we do. But we have clear ones, right? Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. So I don't come to you with subjectivity and say, hey, your ministry is slacking. Okay, pastor, why? Well, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. You haven't hit the right number that I feel like is good. No, we, we, we set up clear expectations. Hey, I want to see you creating a culture where you have X amount of people in discipling relationships. We have this percentage of your large group gathering in biblical community. Like we're striving for 55 to 60% of our weekend worship attendance in a small group. So that's a lead measure. If we want that, we got to know the gap between what is currently happening, how many new groups have to be launched to create enough space for a thousand more people to be in small groups, and then predict. That means I've got to recruit X amount of leaders, develop this amount of people in trainings, and then we can launch a hundred new groups. You know what I'm saying? So it's like setting up lead measures that everybody agrees, understands is important, and we go for it. But when you don't have clear expectations, everybody's frustrated. You don't know if you're winning at work. You don't know if you're doing well. And that's where I see a lot of staff cultures just get stuck. It's up to you to just come up with your win, but then your win may not be what the pastor sees as a win. So then you're being held up to his expectations and not what you feel like is important for your ministry. A healthy team has clear purpose. They know what we're trying to accomplish as a church staff as a whole. And then they understand how their specific ministry area helps contribute to the larger picture. You've got to fight for clarity. There's a book that I read called The Culture Code by a guy named Daniel Coyle. And he said this, three things that help contribute to a successful culture. He says the first thing is you've got to learn how to build safety among your team members. Like it's a safe environment where any employee in the organization feels comfortable to express what they're thinking without backlash. Love that. So there's trust. Second is you have to share vulnerability as leaders. And what he meant by is like the leader has to be able to sit down with his staff and vulnerably share that he's not the best at everything, doesn't have all the best ideas, and is asking for feedback that's going to affect the organization move forward. He's going to be vulnerable and share, hey, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. I know I'm the pastor, but I don't have the best ideas all the time. When you model and you share vulnerability, you start to create a successful culture. And then the third thing was established purpose, which is what we just talked about. He goes, if you can do those things, build safety. Anyone can feel free to speak about anything as a team. Nothing's taboo. You all have access to each other. You can share vulnerability as leaders. You don't have everything perfect. You don't have life together in every single facet of your life. And you don't always have the best ideas. And establish purpose. You can have a successful, healthy team. All right, that concludes our session, but I do want Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure to check out and download the free visual primer for the book Disciple Making Culture. You can find this at discipleship.org/ebooks. Until next time.